0: If you have your Bibles, would you go with me over to the Gospel of John, chapter 17 tonight. The Gospel of John, chapter 17. If you're taking notes tonight, you can title this evening's message, Jesus prays for you. Jesus prays for you. And obviously, he prays for me, and he prays for us. And so let's read verses 16 and 17 tonight. The Gospel of John, chapter 17, verses 16 and 17. It says in verse 16, They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Verse 17, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. If you have a pen, pencil, highlighter, something that makes a line tonight, in verse 17, there's something I want you to underline. There's something that we're going to focus on later on in our study But in verse 17, would you underline the phrase, sanctify them by your truth. Sanctify them by your truth. Let's pray together tonight. Father, we come to you. and Lord, we thank you for tonight. Lord, we thank you just for bringing us, for gathering us. Lord, for many of us, it's been a long week. Yet, Father, you've been so good. Lord, you've been so faithful. And, Father, now we're here. Lord, tonight we've worshiped you through song, through praise, through lyric. And Lord, now we worship you. We honor you through the study of your word. And God, we pray that you would take this section, John chapter 17. And God, would you speak? Father, would you communicate, Lord, through your word, by your spirit, Lord, the things that you want to speak to our hearts? And Father, we thank you. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. amen. Let me start by saying tonight that as a pastor, I take pulpit ministry very seriously. My passion is to preach the word. My passion is to teach the word so that God's flock is taught to think biblically. And so every week as I prepare, every week as I sit with the Lord to prepare Bible studies, messages, to give to the flock, I take pulpit ministry very seriously. And I guess that passion has rubbed off on my kids. Because when my daughter Kaylee found out that I was teaching here tonight, she actually gave me a whole list of instructions on what to do, what not to do, and how to do this. And I I looked at her and I was like, Kaylee, I've been doing this for a long time. The longer that you've been born... But you're going to give me instructions. And for her, being here tonight, us coming back to South Bay, if you will, it was, it was a big deal to her. So do you want to hear her, her instructions for me? can I share them with you guys real quick tonight? There are four things she told me about, Dad, if you're going to teach at South Bay, these are the things that you need to remember. And the first thing that Kaylee told me, she told me, Dad, you need to make sure that you bring a strong word. Okay, and so if Pastor Chet's giving you his pulpit, you need to make sure that you bring a strong word. Make sure that it's full of truth. Dad, stick to the scriptures. And so I looked at her and I said, okay, got it, Kaylee. The second thing that Kaylee told me was not only was I to bring a strong word tonight, but she said, make sure it's full of grace. Make sure it's full of grace. She looked at me and she said, Dad, be very gracious with your words, and so I looked at her and I said, okay, got it, Kaylee. Now, the third thing that Kaylee told me, and this is for your guys' benefit, she told me, Dad, make sure that you're not boring. (laughs) She said, Dad, the last thing we want is for you to come and be boring, and so, Dad, make sure you're not boring, but she also said, we got to keep it balanced, so make sure that you're not too over the top and the things that you share, and I looked at her and I said, okay, okay. Got it, Kaylee. Now, the fourth thing that Kaylee told me, she told me, Dad, whatever you do, don't say our names. (laughs) She said specifically, don't mention me during your study. Oops. (laughs) I'm sorry, Kaylee. (laughs) Um, Starting right now, okay? So starting right now, no more mentions of my daughter Kaylee, let me quickly get back to my point this evening. Myself and Kaylee—last time, I'm sorry—we take pulpit ministry very seriously. And my son—I don't have this in my notes tonight—but my son also took this opportunity very seriously. During worship, kind of brought tears to my eyes because my son came up and, in the middle of worship tonight, he came, laid hands on me, and he said, "Can I pray for you, Dad?" And I'll tell you guys, I actually don't even, I don't ever cry in the pulpit, so it's kind of weird. But I just, when I think of my family, you know, when I think of uh, these kids that the Lord's given me, I'm thankful for pulpit ministry. I'm thankful that over the years, the Lord has also taught them to think biblically. And so here in John chapter 17, I want to focus on a section in Scripture known as Jesus' high priestly prayer. But if you you wanted to get technical, this should also be known as the Lord's Prayer. Now, wait, some of you guys might be asking, isn't the Lord's Prayer that prayer that Jesus gave us in Matthew chapter 6? You guys remember it? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We, We know the prayer, right? Well, actually, let me break the news to some of us here tonight, that actually wasn't Jesus' prayer. It was more of a model prayer. You guys remember they made their way, disciples made their way to Jesus, and they asked him, and they said, hey, can you teach us to pray? And so Jesus said, hey, so when you pray, in a sense, here's the model. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And the reason that I personally would not refer to that as the Lord's Prayer is because Jesus would have never actually prayed that prayer himself. There's a line in that prayer that says, forgive us our trespasses. Now let me ask the question tonight, is that something that Jesus would need to pray? No, right? Jesus would never need to pray, forgive us our trespasses. Why? Because it didn't apply to him. Jesus had no need to be forgiven. Jesus had no trespasses. Jesus had no sin. So I personally believe that the prayer that most reflects the heart of Jesus in communicating with his Father is here in our text tonight in the Gospel of John, chapter 17. This chapter is an amazing section of Scripture. In fact, there's so much in this chapter that it would take weeks of teaching to truly touch on everything that Jesus prays for here. Now, since we don't have weeks of teaching time here tonight, I was told we have about three hours, <laughs> but since we don't have weeks of teaching time, I want to give you a quick overview of the first 10 verses. Then we, will make our, then we will take our time tonight in verses 11 through 17, just really digging in to this prayer that Jesus prayed. Now, let's get into a quick overview of the chapter. Would you look at verse 1 with me here tonight? John chapter 17. Take a look at verse 1. It says in verse 1, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father. The timing of this prayer is this. The cross is imminent. Jesus is hours away from dying upon the cross And what Jesus does is, as he's hours away, he turns his attention to his Father. And he does so through prayer. And because Jesus prays this prayer out loud, you and I, a couple thousand years later, we actually are invited to listen. We actually get to sit here and hear what Jesus prayed. We actually get to sit here tonight and study and glean from this prayer that Jesus prayed before his disciples. And we also get to learn and hear what Jesus valued as he prayed. We get to hear what Jesus prioritized for everyone who calls himself a disciple. Now most of the time when Jesus is praying to his father... If you guys remember in the Gospels, Jesus typically goes to a solitary place and prays, right? He's typically withdrawing himself. He's typically going somewhere that's quiet. And then he prays. But here in John chapter 17, Jesus is praying out loud. Jesus is praying where people can actually hear him praying. And obviously the apostle John heard it because he documented the prayer for us. Now, here's a question that I want to ask tonight. Why did Jesus pray this particular prayer out loud versus praying this prayer in solitude? And the answer is simple. Jesus wanted his disciples to hear firsthand what's on his heart for his people. Let me get back to the title of our message tonight. Jesus is praying for you. Jesus prays for me. Jesus prays for us. And here in this section, we get to hear. We get to study tonight. We get to zero in and focus on what was priority in Jesus' heart as he prays for you and for me. Now, let me throw something out there about Jesus in prayer. Did you know that Jesus is praying for you and me right now? This isn't just John chapter 17, Jesus prayed for us, but Jesus is actually praying for us right now. Would you write this verse down? Hebrews chapter seven, verse 25. The Bible says, therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Listen, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And then would you write this verse down? Romans chapter eight, verse 34. Romans chapter 8, verse 34, it says, Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. I don't know if you capture that, Hebrews 7, Romans 8. Jesus is praying for us. Jesus right now is in glory at the right hand hand of the Father. And he's praying, he's interceding on behalf of you and me. A commentator from the early 1800s named Robert Murray McShane, he said concerning Jesus praying for us, he said this, he said, if I could hear Jesus praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. In other words, if I knew Jesus was in the next room praying for me, or, or, or let, let, let's space it out to here at Cabin Chapel, South Bay. If we knew that Jesus is overhanging out, you see the sign over there? In the prayer room. If you knew that Jesus is in the prayer room tonight praying for you, would you sleep a little easier tonight? If you knew that Jesus was in the next room tonight praying for you, would you do a lot less stressing? If we knew that Jesus was in the next room for us, would we be able to finally rest? most of us would answer by saying yes. Yet the reality is, even though he's not in the prayer room praying for us, he's at the right hand of God the Father always praying for us, interceding for us. Amen. And let me say this, whether Jesus was in the next room or in heaven next to God the Father, distance does not make Jesus' prayers for us any less effective. Don't let distance, don't let that feeling of, man, he's there. Don't let that thought rip you off from resting in the Lord, from resting in the knowledge that he is praying for us. Church, listen, Jesus prayed for us here in John chapter 17, and he continues to pray for us even now. Back to Hebrews 7.25, the end of the verse says, he always lives to make intercession for us. Real quickly tonight, would you give me your eyes for a moment, church? Listen, let those words bring you peace. I want to read it again. He always lives to make intercession for us. Church, let those words tonight, let them bring rest. Let them be a word for someone here tonight. Let them be a word. Let let, let that be a word when you say at the end of the night, why did I come? Why did I show up? Lord, why did you bring me here tonight? Lord, I didn't think I was coming because it was raining a lot earlier, but Lord, I, I somehow got here tonight. Let that be one of the things that you stick in your pocket and hold on to. He's always interceding for us. Now let's get back to our text. And let's ask the question tonight, what specific things did Jesus pray here in our text in John chapter 17? So let's start in verse 1 tonight, here in John chapter 17. It says in verse 1, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father. He said, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. Verse 3, in this eternal life, that you may that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Verse 4, I have glorified you on the earth. I finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself. With the glory which I had with you before the world was. A couple moments ago, I asked you if you have a pen, pencil, highlighter. I think we're going to need to bring it back tonight. Here in this section, in verses one through five, there's a word that's repeated over and over again. And I want you to take your pen, pencil, highlighter, something that makes a line. And I want you to underline the word glory. Over and over here in this section, we see glorify in the word glory. Glory. Would you underline it throughout the text? In verse 1, we see the word glorify. It says, glorify your son. And then in verse 1, it also says, that your son may glorify you. And then jump with me to verse 4. It says, I have glorified you on the earth. Verse 5, O Father, glorify me. Verse 5, with the glory that I had with you before the world was. If you're taking notes tonight, this section here, verses 1 through 5, in this section, Jesus is praying. Jesus is praying for himself. Jesus is praying, Father, now that the hour has come, glorify me, Jesus would say. Glorify your son. I mentioned earlier, er, earlier ago that the cross, at this point in the text, The cross was imminent. So this meant that the hour had come. Go back and read verse 1 again. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may also glorify you. Now jump with me over 4. He says, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Now what hour, let me ask the question, what hour is Jesus talking about? He says, the hour has come. The hour that Jesus is referring to here is Jesus is saying, hey, I've done. I've literally fulfilled everything that I came to do. In fact, in verse 4, would you underline, he says, I finished the work. And so everything that was on the agenda, everything that was part of the mission, Jesus said, I finished it all. I'm hours away from the cross. I'm hours away from mission Completed. And Jesus, he finished the work. What was the work? He came to die. And obviously we know that Jesus, after he died, he came to conquer the grave. He came to conquer death. And he rose from the dead. We're also told in Scripture that Jesus came eventually to ascend to his rightful place at the right hand of the Father in heaven, where he always lives. Let's go back to always make intercession for us. Now, up to this point, Jesus was never really concerned with glory in his public ministry. In fact, oftentimes when you see Jesus doing ministry in the scriptures, Jesus actually would stiff arm human popularity. In fact, when Jesus would go and minister to people or touch someone, Jesus would go and he would perform a miracle and he'd say, Hey, keep it quiet. I don't know about you guys, but if I was Jesus, I would say, go tell everyone. Tell everyone how great I am, how wonderful I am, how powerful I am. Man, go and talk about me. But Jesus would go and he would tell people, hey, keep it quiet. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus heals two blind men. And when their eyes were open, what does Jesus tell them? Jesus said, see that no one knows about it. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus heals a leper. And after healing the leper, Jesus says to the leper, see that, see that you say nothing to anyone. Only go show yourself to the priest. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus raises the daughter of Jairus from the dead. And what does he say to her parents? He looks at them and he says, hey, don't let anyone know about this. Just go get her something to eat. She was dead for a while, you know what I mean? He's like, man, but don't you tell anyone About this. Jesus, during his public ministry, wasn't concerned with glory. He wasn't concerned with attention. I've been thinking about something in relation to human glory and Christian popularity. I've been thinking about this, and maybe you guys can help me um, process this and walk through this question that's been in my mind lately. This is the question: If Jesus did public ministry in twenty twenty four, how much of it would he post on Instagram? I've, I've been thinking about this. How much of his day would he would get captured on his story? How much of the things that Jesus would do in his public ministry would he have his iPhone out and capture it? And I mean, would Jesus be out there taking selfies in his ministry? During his ministry, there was no desire or concern with public glory, with human popularity. Now, I'll be honest with you guys. I have nothing against social media. And I love when it's used to to glorify God for the glory of God. But if some of us were Jesus, we'd perform a miracle and we'd say, hey, let me post about this. We'd hashtag it with Jesus Heals. We'd hashtag that with thing with performed another miracle, hashtag Jesus all up in L.A. Doing, the, doing crazy stuff. I mean, we'd be out there like hashtag catch me at the next miracle, you know, over on Figueroa. You know, I mean, we, we, we would be out there just hashtagging the, the posts like crazy, right? If, if we were Jesus, we'd be out there taking, you know, hey, you know, we'd be out there with, with lepers taking selfies, We'd be out there going live, hey, hey, hey guys, listen, I'm here, I'm, I'm with a leper, hey, and we'd be showing the person there, I, I'm about to heal him, you know, we'd be out there live on Instagram, but and, and we, and we, if we were Jesus, we would wait to heal, right, until all the people log in, so we'd be like, oh, no, no, not enough, okay, I got like 70 people, no, no, I, I, I need at least a thousand, when I get up to a thousand, I'll perform them, we would be out there wanting glory if we were Jesus, right? That's our flesh. But when it comes to Jesus, there was no need for the glory, for the human popularity in his public ministry. Now, I mentioned a moment ago that Jesus wasn't concerned with earthly glory during his public ministry. But here in verse 5, take a look at what Jesus says. Jesus actually prays for his glorification. Because in our text here in this section... Jesus says, the hour has come. Everything has been fulfilled. All the things that was, that, that was on my plate, everything that I came and dwelt among us as a man, everything that I was sent to do, seeking to save the lost, all of it has now been fulfilled. The hour has come. I have finished the work. Jesus says to his father, he prays, he says, now glorify your son that your son may glorify you. I love that even in Jesus praying for his glorification, even in that, there was still this part of Jesus praying, Now, would you glorify me so that I could glorify you. And let me tell you, that's a good prayer even for us today to pray. Even as we contemplate, as we think about the things that we post, the things that we share the things that we talk about. The ways in which the Lord uses us. Do we do these things? Do we share these things all for the glory of God so that he might be glorified? Or do we share them for our fame? Do we share them for our popularity? It kind of makes us think about our motives. Now let's head to the second section. The second part of Jesus' prayer here in John chapter 17. The second section of Jesus' priestly prayer is verses 6 through 19. And if you're taking notes tonight, this section, this second section, has to do with Jesus saying, Father, I'm praying for those who are not of this world. Specifically, Jesus is praying for his disciples at that time, and he's praying for his disciples to come. Jump with me over verse 20 here real quick. I want There's something I want you to see. Jump with me over here, John chapter 17. Jump to verse 20. It says in verse 20, I do not pray for these alone, specifically the disciples that were before him. He says, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And so Jesus is saying, hey, as I pray, as I lift up, these disciples to you, I'm not only praying for these that are in front of me, I'm not, even, I'm not just praying for the ones before me, but I'm also praying for future disciples. I'm also praying for those who are going to be saved during the church age, the time that we're currently living in. And so as we go through this section tonight, as we start digging in, as we start looking at what Jesus prayed for us, know that this was for us. I know most of us already probably accepted it, like, hey, this section, for me. But I know that there might be some of you here tonight that maybe question things a little more, want things explained a bit more. So here in the text, Jesus is saying, I'm praying for them that are before me. And I'm also praying for those who will get saved or be saved or give their life to me. Now, in this section, the prayer gets very personal For each of us who know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Because the prayers, the prayers are specifically for you. Every single person in here tonight, if you know the Lord, or as the text says here, if we are not of this world, but of the Father. This prayer, these petitions that Jesus offers up, they are for us. He's praying these things for us. Now let me highlight a few for you tonight. Jump with me over to verse 11. So what is Jesus praying for us? In verse 11, if you're taking notes, Jesus prays for the unity of his disciples. And so when Jesus looks at the room, when Jesus looks at the crowd, when Jesus looks at us, he says, hey, I'm praying for all of us that we would be unified as his disciples. Read verse 11 with me. It says, Now I'm no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I have come to you. Holy Father, keep them through your name, those whom you've given to me, that they may be one as we are. I want you to notice that there at the end of verse 11, Jesus said, Hey, my prayer is that they... Those that have been kept by the Father, that they would be one as we are one. So, in the same way that Jesus and the Father are one, Jesus prays that there that there would be unity amongst his disciples. Now I have to be honest with you, I gotta make a confession to you guys tonight when I was praying about what to share, when I was seeking the Lord and and up until about two days ago, there were a couple messages that the Lord gave me. One was this one, and one was a message on division. And the Lord had been speaking to me about division in the church. He'd been speaking to me out of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. There was a woman you guys remember by the name of Chloe. She had a household. She was hosting a home fellowship. And word got back to Paul from the household of Chloe that there was division in the church. And so for the past couple of weeks, I've been going back and forth. John chapter 17, Jesus is praying for us. 1 Corinthians chapter one, division in the church. John chapter 17, I think the people at South Bay need to hear that Jesus is praying for them. 1 Corinthians chapter one, but is there division at South Bay? And so I went back and forth. I went back and forth and And I called Pastor Dennis the other night. I think it was Tuesday night. I was trying to wrap this up and make a final decision so I can finalize my study. I called Pastor Dennis. I'm sitting at Starbucks. And I said, hey, Pastor Dennis, I'm sitting here. I'm trying to figure it out. 1 Corinthians, John chapter 17. And guess what? All of a sudden, I'm sitting here. I'm asking the Lord. I'm asking the Spirit to speak to me. And what happens at Starbucks? Mary J. Blige comes on. Real love. Anybody know real love? And so I'm sitting there, and, and I'm like, First Corinthians, John 17. Real love. And so I'm like, oh, my goodness. So I call him, and I said, hey, pray for me. Like, uh, man, I'm, I'm trying to hear from the Lord, and yet, you know, this. And instead of praying for me, he started talking about boys to men. And then somehow he started talking about Prince. And we started talking about all sorts of stuff. And he's like, remember that song and from the 90s? And I was like, oh, yeah, shy. And then we started talking about Jodeci. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I got to hang up on this guy because I really need to hear from the Lord. How many of you guys like that 90s R&B? Okay, anyways. That's because I'm from Gardena. Okay, so listen. I got good taste. So anyways, listen. And the enemy knows it. And so I'm sitting there going back and forth, and I originally was only going to teach verses 16 and 17. And so after I got off the phone with Pastor Dennis, I went back and I started reading the whole chapter, John 17. And then this stuck out to me. And the Lord's like, there's unity. There's unity in the chapter. The very thing that God, that I was wrestling with, do I share this one or this one? It was there in the text. And the Holy Spirit was saying, you could talk about both? And I was like, yes, okay, listen. So this is good. He prays for the unity of his disciples. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 and 11, you don't have to turn there, but let me read it to you. It says, now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you. But that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. And so here in 1 Corinthians, as Jesus is praying for unity amongst his disciples, the Bible, Paul's addressing the Corinthian church is saying, hey, there's division in the church. There's things that people are battling over, arguing over. Specifically, the Corinthians were arguing over who would who got baptized by who, and who was more popular. That would be like if I showed up here tonight and I said, "Hey guys, let's let, let, I want to show of hands. Who's who has more energy here at Cavi Chapel South Bay? Adonis or Dennis? How many guys say Dennis? How many guys say Adonis? Right?" And then we all start clapping for her. Yay for Adonis. All right, then, then you know, let, let me throw another one out there. Hey, Kevin of South Bay. Who's more friendly here at the church? Pastor Pat or Pastor Jimmy? How many of you guys would say Pastor Pat? How many of you guys would say Pastor Jimmy? Right? By a landslide. Okay, listen. No offense, Pastor Pat. Now let me ask you guys, who's more popular? Who's more popular? And I, you guys would be like, all right, Pastor Chad, already wins hands down." Let's not even talk about that one. And you guys would say, "Pastor, who? Who?" I, I, I love that you guys are speaking in tongues. <laughs> okay, I can't hear you guys. But listen, that's what was happening in the Church of Corinth. Who's more popular? Who's more charismatic? Who's funnier? Who's more handsome? Who has better theology? Who is this? Who is that? Let me ask you a question. If we were getting baptized, you're next up at the pool. And the next two pastors available, you have Pastor Dwight or Pastor Steph. Who do you want baptizing you? You're like, I, I know, because he's stronger. No offense to Pastor Steph, but man, if, if I'm getting dunked, I want a strong. I, I, My bad, I I was going to say, I want a strong man lifting me up. But Pastor Steph is strong in his own way, okay? But listen, I would want Pastor Dwight lifting me up out of the water, right? So I, I don't want to drown. That's the kind of nonsense that was going on in the Corinthian church. Who do you got? Who do you like? Who baptized you? What were they arguing about? Oh, I got baptized by Apollos. I got baptized by Peter. I got baptized by Paul. Some were chasing, you know, some people like Apollos because he was very intellectual. He was very profound when he speaks. And so some people are gravitated to that. Some people are like, man, I'm of a, I'm a, I'm a Paul. Paul, you know the apostle Paul. I mean, he's the man. And then you got Peter. Oh, Cephas. I'm of Cephas. Cephas was with Jesus. And so, I mean, you can't go wrong with being of Peter. And then all of a sudden the question gets asked, is Christ divided? And Paul says, man, I'm glad that I didn't baptize any of you, except a couple, but I'm glad I didn't baptize anyone. Because it's causing division. It's causing quarrels. It's causing contentions in the church. Let's get back to our text here, to Jesus' prayer. He's saying, hey, listen, within the body of Christ, I'm praying that the disciples, that the people, that the church would be one. That we would be unified in him. And let me say tonight, if you follow man, if you follow name, start following Jesus. Stop following popularity. Stop following stories on Instagram. Stop following who has the most followers or who's the strongest or the most intellectual. Start following Jesus. Now, go with me over to verse 12 here tonight. There's a second thing that Jesus prays for his disciples. In verse 12, Jesus prays that those who are his would be kept. Those who are his would be kept. Read verse 12 with me. It says, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I've kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. Here in verse 12, once again, if you have your pen, pencils, highlighters, something that makes a line in verse 12, would you underline the word kept? It's mentioned a couple times here. I have kept them in your name. Those whom you have gave me, I have kept. It's mentioned here in the text. If you're taking notes, this word kept in the Greek, it literally means to take care of or protect. And so Jesus is praying to God the Father, saying, hey, your disciples, your people, I've kept them. The ones that you've entrusted to me, I've kept them. He says, the 11 that have been given to me, I have kept them. And then at the end of verse 12, he says, but there was one. We all know the one, right? Judas. He says, none of them is lost except the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. And so Jesus said, hey, I've kept all of them, except the one exception, Judas. Judas wasn't kept that the scriptures might be fulfilled. You guys know Judas, because of God's foreknowledge, he knew that Judas was destined to betrayal, that Judas was destined toward evil. But Jesus said, I've kept them. I kept them. And the question tonight that some of you guys might be asking is what does it mean? What does it look like that Jesus keeps his disciples? Well, all of us need keeping. We just talked about it a moment ago. We need to be kept from division within the body of Christ, we need to be kept as one family within the body of Christ. We need to be kept from error. One of the things we see in the New Testament was there was a constant. Paul was constantly having to correct false teaching that was creeping into the church. And so Jesus said, hey, I've kept you and we need to be kept from error. We need to be kept from sin. We need to be kept from hypocrisy. All of us here tonight, Jesus is praying that we would be kept. Now keep reading with me verse 13. It says in verse 13, but now I come to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Here in verse 13, I simply wrote here in my notes. If you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. Jesus prays that his joy would be fulfilled in every one of his followers. And so every one of us here tonight that knows Jesus as Lord and Savior, Jesus is praying for you that his joy may be fulfilled in your life. And one of the things that the Lord's been teaching me about his joy is his joy, his definition, his version of joy is very different than my version of joy. My version of joy is everything's good. There's green lights. There's money in the bank. There's tacos on the table. You know what I mean? There's all these sort of things. There's married Jay Blythe playing at the cost. I mean, whatever it is, you're like, man, this is what makes me happy. My kids are home. We're at Disneyland. I mean, there's all these things that bring me joy, that make me happy. And yet Jesus' joy, his joy, is very different. The joy of Jesus was not based on circumstances. Let me give you an example. In Hebrews chapter 12... We all know the text in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. You guys know the verse. It says, looking unto Jesus, the what? Author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured what? The cross. Despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, when I hear this verse, I'm thinking who for the joy set before him didn't die on the cross. I mean, that would be what our version of joy would sound like, right? Who didn't suffer for our sins. But yet Jesus' interpretation, Jesus' version of joy, it sometimes involved hardship. His joy involved the cross. It involves suffering. If you're here tonight and you're going through something, If you're here tonight and hardship is a part of your story presently, if your story right now involves pain, I want you to know that it's still possible to have Jesus' joy. Because when Jesus looked at joy, when Jesus had joy, the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, it involved keeping his eye on eternal things. It, key, it involved him looking ahead to things ahead. And let me say this, if you're here tonight and you're suffering, look ahead. I love what Peter said in First Peter. He says, man, these light and momentary trials are testing us. Meaning, yes, at the present moment, and I don't want to make light of some of the things that some of us are going through tonight, because at the moment, our momentary trials might be very extremely heavy. Or extremely painful. And you came here tonight and you're like, man, I barely got here. If, Pastor, you only knew the things that I'm going through and the things that almost kept me from being here. But I would say to you, look ahead. These light and momentary trials. Jesus says, I want you to know my joy. My joy that isn't molded or exclusive to life being perfect. So Jesus prays that we would know his joy. And then lastly tonight, in verses 14 through 19, if you're taking notes, Jesus prays that all his disciples would be sanctified by the word. Now, out of everything I've talked about tonight, this is the one that I'm most excited about. This is the one, if you're like, man, I came tonight, give me something, give me something to walk out with, give me something to hold on to. This is the one that I pray you would be like, man, I'm going to wake up right now. If somebody around you fell asleep tonight, give them an elbow, because this is what I consider to be, in our text, in this section, the main event. All right, how many you guys like wrestling growing up? Anybody like wrestling? How many guys still like wrestling? Okay, don't raise your hand. Don't embarrass yourself. But, man, if you've ever been to WrestleMania or SummerSlam, there's always the main event, right? There's always those early matches. There's those mid-card matches. But then everything was leading up to the main event. You're like, this is why I came. This is what I came to see. Let me tell you tonight, this is the main event text of our evening. Go with me over to verse 16. Some of you are like, man, this better be good because homie, homie, homie. You know, you hyped it up a lot, Pastor. Okay, listen, go with me on to verse 16. It says, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Jesus praying. He said in verse 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So here in verse 16, Jesus says, hey, they are not of the world. Those who I'm praying for, all of us here tonight... That know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, verse 16 tells us that he's praying for us as those who are not of this world. Jesus says, as, just as I am not of this world. So Jesus establishes something very important here. His followers are not of this world. We may reside here, we may be here for 50, 60, 70 years, but we are not of here. We don't share this world's values. We don't share this world's priorities. We don't share this world's definitions of right and wrong or good and evil. We don't share this world's opinion of creation or the beginning of all things. We don't share this world's hostility toward biblical truth or moral living. He says, since we are not of this world, obviously we are called to be different from this world. So this is what Jesus prays since we, his disciples, are not of this world. Go with me over to verse 17. Jesus prays and he says, sanctify them by your truth. He says, your word is truth. Jesus is praying that his disciples would be sanctified by the word of God. If you're taking notes tonight, this word sanctify in the Greek, it's literally the word hagiazo. And it means to be separated. And the separation is twofold. It means that you are separated from something to be separated to something else. So what Jesus is praying here is he's praying that believers would be separated from the world and that we'd be separated to the Father. So what happened when we were born again, verse 16, we were no longer of the world because verse 17, we were sanctified by the truth. Now, let's go back to the point tonight. When Jesus prays that we be sanctified by the word, by the truth, in simple terms, Jesus is praying that we would be sanctified from worldly thinking. And so, what is Jesus praying for us? That we would be sanctified from worldly thinking, and that we'd be transformed and renewed by our mind, Romans chapter 12, and that we'd have biblical thinking or that we would think biblically. Now, let me ask an important question tonight. Why is being sanctified by the Word so important? I believe the answer to this question is found in the husband and wife commands in Ephesians chapter 5. And so would you turn with me over there? Ephesians chapter 5 tonight. We're going to close here. Ephesians chapter 5. As a side note, since we're talking about husband and wife tonight, there are two major holiday. there are two major days next week on the February calendar. On the 11th, we have Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> and on the 14th, we have Valentine's Day. Now, by a show of hands, which one are you more excited for? How many of you guys are more excited for the Super Bowl? Now let me ask another question. How many of you guys are more excited about Valentine's Day? Yay! Yeah. What is that? Okay, <laughs> real quick, would you get married for a moment, church? Those of you that are married, that raised your hand for Super Bowl, you need to come get prayer after service. <laughs> because you are in trouble. In fact, I feel like I have a word. From your wife to you tonight. You ready? Those of you that raised your hand for Super Bowl over Valentine's Day, if you're married, your wife is saying to you, You better shape up, because she needs a man, and her heart is set on you. You better shape up, you better understand. To her heart, she must be true. You're the one that I want. Okay, listen. We're going to pray for you if you raised your hand. All right, Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to finish up here tonight. Jesus prayed that we would be sanctified by the truth. Now look at Paul's command to the husbands. Those of you that are married, you husbands have had your pastor during your ceremony, share this verse over you. It says in verse 25 Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify her, cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present to her a glory, to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. If you have your pen, pencils, highlighters, go back with me. To verse 26 and underline circle the word sanctify it's the same Greek word John chapter 17 sanctify them by the truth Husbands, sanctify your wives by the washing of the water of the word it's the same word in marriage we're told that the groom is to sanctify and cleanse his bride with the washing of the water by the word and in the church Jesus sanctifies his bride in the same way Jesus sanctifies you and I, his bride, the church, with the word of God. In other words, the world stains the believer every single day with false teaching, with ungodly thinking, with secular reasoning, with unbiblical wisdom. So Jesus intercedes for us and he's interceding for you and for me. And he's praying, sanctify them by the word. Would they be washed by the word? And even always we're told that Jesus will continue to pray for you and to pray for me. That we would be sanctified by the word of God. And every time you come. Every time you step foot and you sit in that pew. You are fulfilling. You are answering Jesus' prayer that you would be sanctified by the truth. Every time you wake up and you open up the Word and you wrestle with five more minutes, keep on snoozing or get in the Word, every time you choose the Word, you are being sanctified by the truth. All the stains, all the junk, all the worldly nonsense and garbage is being washed by the water of the Word. Let me finish with this question tonight. How important is biblical truth to you? How important is the word of God to you? Or let me ask it like this. Do you prioritize God's word in how you think about everything? And how you think about life? And how you think about God? And what you think about Jesus? And what you think about forgiveness and freedom? And what you think about an afterlife, specifically if there's a heaven or hell? And how you think about family and marriage? Do we prioritize God's word? Are we sanctified by truth when it comes to our finances and our career? In what entertainment we choose to watch or listen to? In how we think about politics and morality? Do we prioritize God's word? Are we sanctified by the truth in how we deal with social issues, abortion, homosexuality, justice, vengeance, race, prejudice? and all these things, are we thinking worldly Because Jesus said in verse 16, you are not of this world, and neither am I. And he's saying to us tonight, you are not of this world, so stop thinking like the world. You are not of this world, so let go. Allow the Spirit of God to renew your mind. Allow him to renew your mind so that we would be sanctified by the truth and that we would think according to the Scriptures according to his word. As I pray tonight, my point is this. The word of God should affect the way that we think about everything. And that's what Jesus prayed. Sanctify them by the truth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for tonight. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that even tonight as we've come and as we've sat before you, Lord, we pray that your word, that your truth that has gone out tonight, Lord, I pray that it would sanctify us, that it would set us apart. Lord, that we tonight, would, we would leave washed by the water of the word. Lord, that we would leave tonight encouraged that you are praying for us that you are interceding on our behalf and that you always live to make intercession for us. Lord, I pray tonight for everyone that's here. Lord, I thank you that those who've chosen to place their trust in you, that your word declares that they are not of this world, that they're of you. But Father, I also pray tonight for anyone that's here that is still of this world, that's still thinking like the world, still being of the world, or maybe those here tonight, Lord, who have one foot in church and one foot in the world. Lord, I pray tonight that they, as they were washed by the water of the word, as you washed your bride tonight, as you washed the church tonight, Lord, I pray that we would turn our attention to you. You know, tonight, if you're here, and you're like, I'm here. I wasn't planning to be here. In fact, I didn't even want to come. Or maybe some of you might say, I got dragged here. Or some of you might be here tonight, and you're like, man, it's just complete chance that I'm here. Let me tell you, there's no. it's not by chance that you're here. It was by divine appointment. The Lord brought you here tonight so that you would hear from him, that you would hear his word. And you know, tonight, Pastor Dennis, earlier on, he prayed for prodigals. He prayed for people to come home, people to return to the Father. And you know, tonight, let me say to you, before we stand and sing this last song. If you're here tonight, it's not by chance or coincidence. You're here because the Lord loves you. And he wanted you to be at church tonight. Because he wanted to speak to your heart. And he had a message for your soul. And if you're here tonight and the Lord is speaking to you, say, come back to me. It's been a long time since you've walked with me. Come back to me. If the Spirit of God is speaking in your heart saying, hey, you've been walking in the world for a long time, would you come back and walk with me? If that's you tonight, would you just raise your hand because I want to pray for you. God bless you guys over here on the side. God bless you over in the middle, off to the side. Anyone here tonight, anyone else? Father, thank you for these hands. Lord, thank you for these who've come. Lord, it is not an accident that they're here tonight. They came because you wanted to meet with them. You wanted to speak to them. And Father, I pray for these who've raised their hand, Lord, that they, right now, would make a decision to surrender to you. Father, to forsake the way of the world, to turn their back on godless living. And Lord, that they would turn to you. Lord, that they would know that the hour had come, that you fulfilled everything, that you died on the cross for their sins, that you rose on the third day and that you were victorious over death, that you're alive. And now you make intercession for us at the right hand of God. And Father, thank you for tonight. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.